So we just want to say at the top here, we get it wrong. Sometimes we get it wrong on this episode. We use the wrong pronouns. We are still growing and we are still learning. We are still figuring out everything as we go. So we do apologize for the mistakes that we make. Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask the librarian. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. And welcome back to another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. Yay! We're going to be talking about banned and challenged books. It's been a hot button subject. It has. It started a few months ago. This is something that has been happening more in schools. It doesn't happen as much in public libraries, but it's been happening a lot in schools lately. You know, librarians, we know what banned books are and challenged books Mm -hmm. are, and we take that knowledge for granted. And I don't think the public knows exactly what that means. I think they think of book burnings, you know, like an Indiana Jones, that kind of thing, like it's a big to-do when a book is banned. Let's be honest, it, it is kind of a big deal when this sort of thing happens. Definitely. Certainly. Because it's the United States and people don't expect that. In right. this country. It feels like something from a different era. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what exactly is a banned book and what's a challenge book? Sure. So that's an important delineation. Those two things are very different things. When somebody submits a form, and we have these forms here, a form that says they have an objection to a book or an item that's in our collection and any library's collection that is officially a challenged book. Mm-hmm. Once it starts going through the process, here at this library, we have a process that any challenge goes through. Just like at any library, they have that process. Once it is agreed upon by the people who review the challenged book, it officially becomes a banned book. Right. In, I don't know a statistic, so I'm going to make one up. Maybe 75, 80, 90, who knows? 90% of cases, books get challenged, but they don't necessarily become banned. Again, I'm just making up a number. And that's especially, though, in the public library. Where we're, yes, yeah. absolutely. In school libraries, it might be a higher number and a good place to look for more information on this topic is the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom. This is literally all they do. Mm. And they have statistics on all of this stuff because at least vast majority of challenges and bans in the United States are reported to the American yeah. Library Association. And they keep statistics on these sort of things. Yeah. And you could sign up for an email newsletter on That's there right. where you get that information delivered to your mailbox. That's right. You can hear about challenges as they're happening, bannings as they're happening. And it's a fascinating thing. And I'm glad we took the time to explain this yeah. because I talk to patrons sometimes and for the book club I run, or the one I facilitate, I should say, we did a banned books month. And people were kind of like, wait, what? This book yeah. was banned? And right. I'm like, well, it was challenged in one place, that's right. in, you know, one library, but it gets that kind of scarlet letter. Yeah. And I think that's another really good point to make is that when a book is challenged or banned, it's challenged or banned from one institution, right? It's the Pittsburgh Community Library, or it's one specific library or one specific school or school district. It's not necessarily a vast majority of places. That doesn't mean that a book book is not banned or challenged at multiple places, but it would be a separate process every time. I'll quote famous author Stephen King here. This meme has been going around the the World Wide Web. The literary circles on yeah, the, the internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> since, you know, since banned books have been in the news. So he says, when books are run out of school classrooms and even out of school libraries, as a result of this idea, I'm never much disturbed, not as a citizen, not as a writer, not even as a school teacher, which I used to be. What I tell kids is, don't get mad, get even. 
Don't spend time waving signs or carrying petitions around the neighborhood. Instead, run. Don't walk to the nearest non-school library or to the local bookstore and get whatever it was they banned. Read whatever they're trying to keep out of your eyes and your brain because that's exactly what you need to know. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about this, a great place to look is the American Library Association's Office of Intellectual Freedom. This is what they do all day, every day. You can just Google ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom and you will find their website and you can find so much information about what they do and statistics on everything that you could think of. Today, we are talking about Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. And we want to say, just before we begin our discussion, the author of this book uses the pronouns E, M, Air. And like we said at the beginning, we do make mistakes while we're talking here. But those are the pronouns you'll hear us using. Yeah. This book, I really didn't know much about it until we got into it. What's what's kind of the premise here? So this is a memoir. This is a graphic novel. This is a, a memoir that Maya wrote about air life, figuring out air identity and gender. It talks a lot about family and growing up and covers quite a wide swath of Maya's life. Yeah. And so I suppose that much of the to-do about this one when, when it comes to being challenged and banned has to do with gender identity. But also in this one, oftentimes when you read about it, there's a couple of pages in here that people really take exception yeah. to it, right? There's one page, they're back to back, That's right? right? That are cited specifically most of the time. Yeah. One is sexting. The other has a sex scene in it. And mm-hmm. That's the vast majority of time. That's yeah, those why are the, it's being Yeah. You'll see people share that page. I think people probably yeah. don't read the book, but they know those pages exist and right. boom, blows up. Right. I do want to add that although we're focusing on this book, Genderqueer, for this conversation, we could have picked a million other there books. There are so right? many books. But a lot of times they, they fall into two camps, right? This one is has to deal with LGBTQ plus issues, mm-hmm. correct? But we could have also gone down the road of the many, many books that have been challenged and banned that are by black authors that deal with black stories. Yeah. That's really been... It's been more of a, an area in the last few years, but it's historically always been exactly. a topic that's been challenged. Go back in time to Toni Morrison, Beloved, The Bluest Eye, which... Older books, but still challenged today. Yep. Banned oftentimes. And then a lot of recent books by recent authors, yeah. new authors, yeah. Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. What's it? With the teen version of Stamps. Yes, that's a yep. big one. Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. Which was a huge book. I would say that was like the biggest YA fiction book um, when it came out oh, in no doubt about it. 15 or 16. To the point it was adapted into a film. Yeah. So again, we're focusing on one book here, but just know there's a ton out there. Yeah, this and- is our case study for this. Exactly. Yeah, this topic. All right, so we've got two special guests today on at the same time. This is such a special episode. It's something we thought would never happen either. But one day we're going to have infinite guests. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, it's true. Well, first, uh, let's welcome back Roberta. Thank you for this is wait, This is your third time on the, the third show? Third time. You are, yeah. I think, our most frequent guest. Yeah. Because I'm easily accessible. <laughs> and you're wonderful. Oh, thank you. But we also have Laura Richardson here, our colleague. Laura. Yeah. Hello, folks. I am the a teen and tech librarian here at PCL. And I think that my best way to contribute to the podcast generally is to be a huge fan of y'all. But somehow I ended up in here today. So we finally convinced you to come on the pod. And why are you here? Because today we're talking about banned books, right? That's right. Yep. Back in the news. Back in the news. Big time in the news these days. Yeah. And you know what? We were kind of excited to talk about this because as librarians, we celebrate Banned Books Week every September. It's sort of a big deal for us. No doubt. So what? We're about six months after that. So any opportunity we have to talk about banned books, we're going to do it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
we're going to focus in in a bit on one of the books that's been challenged quite a bit. That's mm-hmm. Gender Queer by Maya Kobabi. Yes. We want to talk a little bit more about banned books generally. Yeah. There's quite a storied history with banned books. It's something that's been happening for a long time. Forever. Yeah, forever. And a lot of the books that are considered classics are among the most banned books. No doubt. In recent years, it's mostly, I would say, LGBTQ+. Yeah. Right? And that's something that I noticed when I was looking at a couple lists of banned books. There's some picture books that focus on those characters mm-hmm. and a lot of like young adult books yes. that are in that vein. But I mean, even going back to like Catcher in the Rye was yeah. one of those books that was hit a lot. And honestly, I don't know many people who didn't have to read that in their ninth grade English class. Exactly. But in the last week or so, the big news has been Mouse by the yeah. graphic novel by Art Spiegelman was removed from, I believe it was an eighth grade class in Tennessee. And that's really shocked everybody, right? Yeah. Robert, I want to talk to you first. You used to be an English teacher, right? Right. It was high school, right? It was high school. And all of the books, or many of the books that are on the list I had taught. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. And I think that what we have to remember is that, you know, when we teach a novel, mm-hmm. we don't lecture. Right. Okay. We don't get on a pedestal and we don't tell right. our own personal choices, but we read books like To Kill a Mockingbird, Mouse, I taught, Toni Morrison. And as a good teacher, you allow students to decipher yeah. their own right. information. Exactly. You don't preach. Right. And I feel for the teachers today trying to fight all of these banned books that, you know, aren't essential to yeah. reading and to opening somebody's eyes to the broader world. Mm-hmm. And I think Mouse is probably a access point for a lot of people to yeah. find their own outrage at being uh, removed. Because, I mean, it deals with the Holocaust. It's very just blunt, right? That's a blunt book. It just shows you the horrors. Yeah. He uses mice as the characters in it, but... Yeah. It, it doesn't that, soften the edges. No, it does not soften the edges. No. And I think the problem they claim in Tennessee that it was uh, has to do with the use of the word goddamn, and there's a there's a naked mouse in one scene. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, those are the reasons that are given. But all of those reasonings tend to feel like a shroud for the real issue in a lot of these cases. People think middle schoolers, eighth graders, are they too young to handle this kind of thing? I yeah. don't think so I think it's almost the perfect age. I remember I worked in a school before I was in libraries. There was a teacher there, Larry Sandomir, who taught the Holocaust in seventh grade. And he thought it was the the perfect time because those kids are really open to kind of social justice issues and right and wrong and seeing suffering and, and being able to interpret that and, and kind of just get right to the heart of it. They know what's right and wrong and they're able to work on that kind of stuff. And it's kind of the perfect age, I think. Right. And I think that scene that Spiegelman talks about, it was a, a scene that really occurred for his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of it is his parents' life. And that scene of being naked it seems sort of like you said, a shroud because you're talking about the killing of six right. million people yeah. or 10 million in total. Right. And it just seems uh, like a weak theory to me that mm-hmm. this is what they're picking apart. Not that's the real issue. That's the real issue. Yeah. A lot of it has to do generally with you know, the book kind of doesn't just portray the most Nazi of the Nazis, to, <laughs> for right. lack of a better term, right. as the villains here. It's also the people who were indifferent, who did nothing, right? Like, the complicit. The complicit. Exactly. They're the villains as well. And I think I, a lot of times now I see that's kind of the problem people have with certain subjects. Right. And Robin and I were talking about the fact that if you remain silent, you remain complicit mm-hmm. in so yeah. many ways. And so, Spiegelman doesn't understand why they find so many things objective no. in his book. Well, now, of course, Spiegelman, like with any band book, right? George M. Johnson, who's the author of what All Boys Aren't Blue, he said it's kind of like a hydra, right? Like 
you ban this book, guess what? The head's going to pop up in 10 right. different places and the mouse is like number one on the bestseller list right. right now. You can't get it. And I think the same thing happened with genderqueer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think from a teacher perspective, a lot of the history books are very dry when you talk about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. right? And maybe some are inaccurate. And so when you have accounts like Mouse or you have accounts like Anne Frank's The mm-hmm. Diary, you have students who are more engaged yeah. because right. they're real. Because there's a personal narrative. There's a personal narrative and you have Mouse as a graph novel. Right. And I think that for a lot of students, it's more engaging. It's more interesting yeah. than reading just some dry history book that devotes maybe two, three pages right. to and, a novel. And while the history book is dry and it does have the truth in it, right? It's that truth that they are seeking. They want it in their kind of lens, right? Like, yeah. I, even my son, who's in third grade, I gave him yesterday The New Kid by Jerry Craft because I knew it had been challenged, which is absurd. And <laughs> I told him before, I'm like, hey, this book's been banned. <laughs> like, I was like, you read it and tell me why you think it's been banned. And he's like, no, no, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. They, <laughs> the kids, they want to know. They're curious, right? They're, and they're going to find the answers, like whether you hide it from them or not. Like, you know, it's uh, what does he say in Jurassic Park? Dr. Ian Malcolm, life finds a way. Kids find a way to, right. to access what they're going to want to access. Right. You put up a roadblock, guess what? That's right. <laughs> they're going to work even harder to get it. And if you provide the information in a book that's well-written and has great illustrations like some of these do. Absolutely. Then you're providing them more tools to understand the world. I, I tend to think that the books that we have, like To Catcher in a Ride, mm-hmm. J.D. Salinger's no yeah. longer with us. The, the books outlive us. Yeah. Right. And these are these are things that are important for every generation to read. They're and, artifacts. Uh, yeah, they're... Right. You know, right. It's incredibly important to have this kind of stuff and materials that different people can access because people learn in different ways. And I think it's important to remember in these conversations, we believe that anybody should have access to any information that they want. But we also believe that not every book is for every reader. Right. Right? And not every reader is going to enjoy a book the same way. Yes. And that's okay. If we have access to these items and we have access to this information, that's what matters. If you don't want to access it, that's okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I find the most strange about book banning and book challenging is that most kids aren't going to go pick up genderqueer off the shelf, right? right? Like, I think it's a book that's someone's interested in. Maybe they're going through something, their friend is going through something, and they're going to go pick it up. But like, not everyone's going, oh, let me get the book and place a hold on it. No. Right. Most kids in general do. Does every kid read, you know, as much as you want them to? So, right. I, I just don't think it's, you know, it's just such a strange way of going about business. And teachers often, like if a parent objects to a book yeah. for some reason, like To Kill a Mockingbird, teachers offer alternatives. Right. Yes. We always do. Yep. Right? We respect the privilege of a parent to choose another book. Absolutely. And so, I think libraries obviously have alternative reading and so do schools. Yeah. And to Robin's point before, you know, there's a book for everybody, right? But there's also a book in the library that's going to offend everybody, right? Right. And there's books that, you know, I'm sure people find objectionable on our shelves that are totally on a different right. wavelength. Yeah. We have a large, wide, yeah. deep collection yeah. of books that cover every topic. And we purchase books to fill the gaps of knowledge that we yeah. have. Yeah. Patrons request books all the time and we, yeah. we look into it. And a lot of times those books end up on our shelves. So, who are we to deny access to material right. that the public wants? That's what we're here for. Right. That's the point of the public library. To circle back to the genderqueer conversation and... And we'll focus on Mouse there for a minute. It's different, right? It seems like the hyper focus is on these books more than anything. I think a lot of it has to do with somebody's personal beliefs being a part of what they think the public should be able to access. 
And I think you are allowed to have your personal beliefs. Anybody is allowed to believe whatever they want. I think the stumbling block here is, and nobody is allowed to determine what anybody else believes and how they access information about their beliefs. That's the thing that gets overlooked a little bit in these conversations. You can believe whatever you want. I I don't have the right to change your opinion, but I do have the right to access information that is important to me. We're reading a memoir. And we talk about a memoir. We don't want to criticize the person's life. No, absolutely We're not not rating a person's life. The other thing that I read recently was a book called The Cape Doctor by E.J. Levy. And I don't want to get too much involved with the storyline there, but the author or the narrator of the story says, why do we focus so much on the body? Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is, I think, part of the problem with some people for genderqueer. This author or narrator says, why can't people be measured for their work? Mm -hmm. Or their contributions yeah. to humanity. And I think that that book is resonating in a different way about the body, but I can see that we don't take this story as a whole. Right? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of focus on the body. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. And it's so body focused. Body focused. Yeah. But we don't see this person in terms of humanity and its far-reaching consequences for all of these people who need a book like this. Yeah. And that's it right there, right? To go back to George Johnson, I listened to an interview with him and you know, he talked about the isolation he felt when he was a kid and how important it is to know that there are others out there for you. And maybe you're in a small community mm-hmm. and you don't see anyone who's like you or you don't realize they are. But hey, maybe there's that book on the shelf that, you know, of course the internet's right. there and you can do that, but there's something about a book, right? And that's what uh, Maya says in this book. He says, I didn't have anybody to talk to about these issues when I was young. The only access I had to information on this topic was in books. Yeah. There's a window to the outside world, right? And maybe that helps with the isolation. And where do we come in there, right? Like, we're the allies. We're supposed to be the allies, right? We don't want to remove these books. We want that book to be there for that person. Right. As a parent myself, you know, I'd love if my son would come and talk to me about anything when he's older. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you want as a parent, I think. But I remember being a kid and I probably wouldn't talk to my parents about every subject in the world. I know I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk to them about 25% of things, right? (laughs) They asked me how my day was. I said, good. That was it. Right. So, if your child is going through something or these kind of thoughts are in their head and where they know somebody, it's good to have materials out there, trusted sources, right? Experiences of others. This is, you know, this experience is very specific to Maya, of course, right? But it's there and it's a lifeline, I think. Yeah. And it's like Roberta was talking about, it's a personal experience. This isn't a book that preaches anything. It doesn't hit you over the head with like, you have to believe this or you have to be this way. It just says, this is what I experienced. This is what I struggled with. And here's how I feel now that I'm an adult and I have many experiences under my belt. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, I think you hear them out there. I don't get it. I don't get it. Right. Like they don't get the pronouns. They don't get all that. Yeah. And read the book. Maya doesn't get it for a long time either. And He's you know, figuring it out. Teenagers are very closed mouth in a lot of areas, right? They don't share yeah. because it's a very awkward age. It's a very hard age to be a teenager. He says on page 71, I just want to be myself. Right. And so that is something that we all can connect with. Who yeah. hasn't ever said that aloud right. to friends or peers or our parents, right? That we all want to live our own lives. For me, that was something that made me think about my own teenage years that were, you know, at mm-hmm. times very stressful. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved books that sort of reached me. Right. But when I was growing up many decades ago, <laughs> it was not something that was so available. Right. It wasn't. Right. And I welcome the change in literature now. I actually read a really wonderful op-ed from Maya about this topic when the book was being challenged a lot. You wrote a an op-ed about it for um, 
the Washington Post. And I really loved this quote, which is, removing or restricting queer books in libraries and schools is like cutting a lifeline for queer youth who might not yet even know what terms to ask Google to find out more about their own identities, bodies, and health. I feel like that is the crux of this issue with this book, right? Mm -hmm. It's restricting information that somebody might not understand how to access. Yeah. Uh, You know, at the end of the book, Maya's in the classroom working with students and wonders about introducing e-self to kids using pronouns and worries uh, that air identity is too political for a classroom. Maya wonders if air silence is a disservice to anyone in the classroom and and continues to wonder if they've ever seen a non-binary adult. I thought reading that, that Maya has not been silent. Here's the book, right? Absolutely. And we shouldn't silence E by taking it out of libraries. Maya talks about how E feels like a coward and how much having a non-binary or trans teacher in junior high would have meant. I remember that page in the book when the friend offered those pronouns. Yeah. And yeah. the stars in their eyes. Yes. yes. And the yes. tingles and the, the spine. The spine. Like, this is right Just for joy. That's mm-hmm. wonderful if you can give someone respect in that way. I think the book was constructed with a lot of care. And I don't know if I said this before, but Lorraine Hand Hansberry said that artists must be for or against humanity. And I think this is a book about humanity. No doubt about it. That's for humanity. For humanity. Definitely. Definitely. They don't find it to their liking, just like everything else. You put it back on the shelf. Don't read it. That's right. Don't read it. Right. You don't want your kids to read it. That's fine too, right? Right. That's okay. You can't oppress others into uh, thinking that because you find it offensive in any way that it shouldn't be available to others who may need it. Absolutely. For for so many supportive reasons. This is a very big world, right? And I like to think that every human is very different from the next one. And you know what? That's the beauty of it. So, let people be. Let the books be. We're here. Does it hurt you? Does it hurt you? Come check it out. Read the book, you know? Maybe read the book. It's good. You might learn something too, The illustrations are nice. The illustrations are nice. Yeah. yeah. I like Maya. What can I say? Me too. You get the feeling reading it that Maya never imagined that the white hot light was going to be on this. On this well, book. it originated as trying to communicate with their family. This was in the WAPO op-ed that I read that it was originally written as a means of explaining all of this to extended family and friends, people who didn't necessarily mm-hmm. get it because they didn't live this perspective. And the only reason that it became a thing is because it was a story that people wanted to hear. I mean, yeah. So it became became a successful graphic novel. Right. Interesting. And here we are. Here we are. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you, Roberto. My pleasure. It's an interesting topic. This is one of those things that, as librarians, we talk about this sort of thing all the time. And it's important to us, and uh, we hope it's important to you, too. So, up next, we have Adrian. Yeah, one of our newer employees, right? Mm -hmm. He's been here about six months. He is in the children's room. He is awesome. He is awesome. I'm a big fan of Adrian. Me too. Um, So, let's... Adrian, what do you got for us? Hello, my name is Adrian Pereira, and um, I'm here at uh, Pittsford. I'm the children's clerk here, and I'm currently reading One Piece. One Piece is a manga, uh, probably one of the most popular manga out slash anime. They have over a thousand episodes, a thousand chapters, and it's still one of the best. And I feel like every library should have huge manga collections. Well, that does it. That's another episode in the books. That's right. And yeah. what an episode. It was. Banned books. I mean, yeah. it's a juicy topic. It's important to us. It is. Hopefully, we don't get banned for this conversation, but I, I don't think, think we'll that's going to happen. We will carry on. We'll be back here, and we have got a very special guest. Yes. Very excited about this one. It's Justin Murphy. He's a reporter with the Democrat and Chronicle, and he actually has a book coming out this spring. It's called Your Children Are Very Greatly in Danger, School Segregation in Rochester, New York. This is going to be a big book, and we actually have him coming for an event in the spring as well. 
well. So yeah, keep your eye out for that. Yeah, we'll talk to Justin about his book. We'll talk about what he likes to read and we'll do a little preview of that event. That's going to be pretty much it for the next episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll catch you next time. I will catch you next time. All right. See ya. Later. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times for the use of the Buy the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.